0: what does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian tradition. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting the 2,000-year-old book that we read on Sundays to real life in the 21st century. to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer.
1: I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmaling.
0: We decided to do this podcast because sometimes the Bible makes a lot of sense and we find it very familiar and meaningful, and other times we read it and really can't understand what it says at all. We struggle with the text sometimes too, but we hope that these conversations can help us enter into these readings with a little bit more clarity.
2: We should probably say something about the texts that we're going to talk about today. We're reading the texts that are appointed for Ascension Day. Ascension comes 40 days after Easter. You always have the option to move those texts to the following Sunday if you want to read them in church. If you're following along with our liturgical calendar, it would be the seventh Sunday of Easter, the last Sunday of Easter, but we're going to pretend that it's Ascension Day. Day.
0: This year, Ascension Day is the 30th of May, so if you are listening to this podcast on the 30th or 31st, you're right on time. We'll do this in three parts with a little music between the reflections in the space between the readings. We invite you just to take a pause. You can step away if you want to and then come back, but we'll be here when you come back to take a look at the next reading. Pastor Javen, you have the first reading this Sunday. Why don't you give us a little background?
1: Yeah, the first reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the very opening verses of the book of Acts. We've been reading from Acts throughout the season of Easter this year. So we've had a lot of this book already. I think we've already said at some point on this podcast, Acts is part two of Luke's gospel. One of the ways we know that is actually from the opening line that we're going to hear in just a little bit. This book is addressed to someone named Theophilus, which literally means something like friend of God. Um, We don't really know if that was a real person or if it's addressed to all of us who might be friends of God. The Gospel of Luke is also addressed to Theophilus. And so Acts picks up where the Gospel of Luke leaves off. Actually, it overlaps a little bit, and you're going to hear that today in our readings. But Acts picks up after Jesus's resurrection, before His ascension, and what we hear today is actually the story of Jesus' ascension from the book of Acts. Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us?
2: Sure. Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John was baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven.
1: Thank you, Pastor Bradley. I was thinking about a class I took in seminary, a pastoral care class, and we read this book. The name of the book is Hope in Pastoral Care and Counseling by Andrew Lester. The whole premise of the book was that all of us have future stories, and that when we experience crisis in our lives, it's when the future stories that we have in mind suddenly become impossible. So for example, someone who's in a car accident and suddenly loses their ability to walk, or an athlete who suddenly has a, an injury and they're no longer able to, to play sports. Um, I, a, a crisis is always the loss of our imagined future. And I've just found that to be a really helpful insight over the years, almost any time I experience someone in crisis, it really does have something to do with their future story. And part of what we can do for one another is help people reimagine a new future story. And and actually, the, the author of this book says the way we overcome a crisis is by rewriting our future stories and being able to imagine a new future. And one of the things I have been thinking about with relation to this text is just how these disciples had, I mean, their future stories have been radically changed through the course of Jesus' last week and his trial and crucifixion and resurrection. And now, in this passage, his ascension to heaven, Jesus is now leaving them once and for all. Just imagining how many ups and downs and curveballs their future stories have taken throughout this journey with Jesus. And I was just thinking about this. This last line, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? That's a, that's the line that really stood out to me today. And just thinking about how they must have been standing there just completely lost, wondering how in the world do we go on now and not having any vision of a future story. And I think one of the things implied in this passage is that don't just stand there looking up to heaven, there's actually stuff going on here on earth, and you need to now be in it. You need to be leading this community through it. And I like
2: here that Jesus doesn't give them a kind of definitive timeline either about how things are go are going to go or when the Spirit might come. Uh, he says, no, no, you you don't get to know that and in one way it sounds kind of uh like a trick you know i'm just going to keep you in the dark but i think the way it functions is like it makes you have to be attentive you know if you don't know what moment the holy spirit is going to arrive and do something you're kind of scanning for it Every day, if we were told, OK, on Thursday at 10 o'clock, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you between now and Thursday at 10 o'clock, we wouldn't even be looking for anything. And I think the part of the point of this text is look because it's it could be right in front of you right now. And the
0: text also says it won't necessarily be right here don't just look up into heaven there's that that sending out line that we've talked about previous weeks but you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth some of these disciples have never gone that far you know that's you're okay life is going to be different you're so when you talk about pastor javen the sense of imagining your future in a new way the angels are saying your future is big You've got places to go. There's a lot you're going to be able to do, and you're going to see. You're going to be witnesses of God's power all over the place.
1: Right. It's uncharted territory, and you're going to be the ones to lead the people there. Right. These are Galilean country people. Right. And their
2: future now is in the big city in Rome and to the to the ends of the earth.
0: Let's Let's leave that there for now and move on. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. come back. Our second reading for Ascension is from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 23. You will remember that Ephesians is that part of the Bible where there are several letters in a row written from Paul, we think, or someone a lot like Paul. At this point, we, we don't know it right away, but we hear in the letter that Paul is in prison and he wrote to many churches that he had visited or established in cities far away. Um, Ephesus is the city that he's writing to in Turkey, and he's probably in prison someplace else, maybe in Rome. We don't know for sure. And he's writing to the church of the people that he knows were following Jesus in Ephesus, and he wants them to know how things are going, and he has some ideas for what he has heard things, how, of how things are going for them.
1: Pastor Javen, will you read? I'd be happy to. Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 23. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, the fullness of him who fills all in all
0: thanks so here Paul is writing a letter to people he loves and has you know strong feelings of affirmation and inclusion for, but he's I get the sense that he's worried they're they're losing it they're losing some of the strength of their faith, and he wants to remind them of how much they have in store so i I get the feeling of like a A mom writing a letter to kids far away saying, don't forget, it's so good. Your future is so good. There's so much. You have so much going for you. So maybe she's heard the kids are discouraged and she wants to say, hey, there's so many good things going on for you. Paul's just lavishing it on saying Christ is the head and has received all these things, this grand inheritance that now Christ is giving to us we we are the body of Christ so that we get to inherit all the riches and goodness and wisdom and strength and hope that Jesus has for the world and he's using like every superlative every every description he can to say it's a rich and happy future. So you get the feeling that maybe the Ephesians are saying, eh, I don't know. You know, if Paul can get put in jail and Jesus is going to go to a cross, it's like, eh, this, uh, I'm not sure this is really for me. And Paul is so desperate to say, just because I'm in jail doesn't stop the fact that it is so good. And in fact, I think of your congregation over there in Ephesus as being a sign of the greatness that is to come.
2: You know, I'll admit... I find this passage kind of hard to listen to, um or to keep my my attention. I don't know how all of you were when you were hearing it read, but Paul often has just so much language, and you mentioned the richness and the phrases, and he kind of does it. It's like these claws upon claws, and you kind of at least I should speak for myself. I get lost in thinking. I have no idea what he's trying to say right now. Um, sometimes
0: you have to go back and say, what what is the verb? Where, where are we in this sentence here? You have to do like here? the
1: sentence like you – know, like, uh, what do you call that when you like map out the sentence and like figure out what's the verb? Diagram, that, yeah, right, yeah exactly. diagram. The exactly. like, but
2: it makes me think there are other ways to use scripture too that sometimes – it doesn't come across to us as like making this logical scent or sense or giving me this insight that unlocks my spirit and suddenly I'm at peace or something like that. But what I did notice is there's all kinds of little – phrases and words in here that almost could be used for meditation. You know, rather than read this text for understanding, read it to meditate or to say some of these phrases over and over again to yourself. Like, what struck me is, with the eyes of your heart enlightened. I just, I love that image, the eyes of your heart may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. And I feel like I could take that and make that into a little prayer mantra. And I feel like this text is filled with all kinds of little collections of words that could be used more for prayer than for insight.
0: Which is a lovely way to use scripture. Sometimes we really get hung up on the intellectual understanding of it says this because this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And scripture was written in a time where writing itself, but certainly the stories had a different meaning and a different purpose than just to tell us a history or an event, something that way. So maybe Paul wanted his friends to have something on which they could meditate.
1: I confess that Ephesians is not one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's because of some of what's actually in this passage. One of the things I remember learning is that You know, the authentic Paul wrote these very egalitarian kinds of things like in Galatians where he talks about there's no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, this really flattening out all the sorts of hierarchies that we as humans put. And then here in Ephesians, which actually most scholars think probably wasn't written by the actual Paul, but may have been written by someone pretending to be Paul. There's this different kind of – there's this very hierarchical sense, especially at the end of this passage about Christ raised in the heavenly places above all rule and authority, the head over all things. And it sets up this hierarchy of like Jesus is at the top and then like, you know, like we just like uh, lay it all out. The hierarchy then forms beneath Jesus. And I sort of feel like this is the beginning of all the hierarchy that we have in the church today. And I wish that we had clung to that egalitarian Paul rather than being influenced so much by this hierarchical (laughs) pseudo-Paul.
0: I've read actually other descriptions of whether – it's not so much that people were pretending to be Paul so much as they wrote in his voice, which is very, very common in the first century, but also to remind ourselves that what Paul said was – That Christ is filling the body. So sometimes those hierarchies that we've said pseudo Paul or somebody else put onto them, I think that's a a generation of many people that want to build hierarchies in the church, but that wasn't the intention of the original, maybe even in that sentence, um, the the intentional writer or the original writer.
1: Thank you for helping me love Ephesians more, Pastor Lois.
0: We should probably (laughs) close there. I'm glad you love it a little more today (laughs) than you did yesterday.
2: Welcome back. Our gospel reading is from the very end of Luke, the 24th chapter, 44 through 53. That's a lot of verses in a chapter. That's a long chapter. Uh, But this is the very end of the gospel of Luke. And you will notice that this is virtually the same as what you heard when we read the Acts reading. Um, which is very interesting that you have the same story told by the same person twice, and they're slightly different versions. It's great to highlight that the biblical writers weren't writing for historical reasons. They're not trying to record historical events exactly as they occurred for the record. They're trying to make like a preaching point. You know that that and so they nuance the stories differently, and I think that's really important for us to hear that the original writers weren't thinking of them as literal but as as illustrations of the points that they're trying to make. so let's let's listen to it. If you have a few minutes over the next days and want to lay these two stories next to each other, do so and just look at what the the differences are
0: luke twenty four and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God.
2: Thank you, Pastor Lois. You may have noticed just in listening the different tone at the end when we read the story from Acts. They're left standing there with their mouths open and the angels say to them, why are you standing there looking up into heaven? And in this one, he blesses them and it says, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You know, it's like... OK, well, so what really happened? And I kind of think, well, this is the end of the gospel story. So it's just a much nicer.
0: Tie it all it, up. T- yeah, have it
2: all kind of sewn up. Whereas when you hear the story at the beginning of Acts, um, Luke is leading in, leading you forward into more of the story, lead, driving you towards the Pentecost story, which is actually our text for for next week. But I want to kind of start with this text. I think the Ascension story is a challenge for a lot of people because it's – we don't think from a pre-modern worldview. And if you think about this text literally, Jesus – ascends into heaven and the original listeners would have thought well as soon as he gets you know to the top of the clouds well then he's here he's in heaven with with god it's really not that far to go but we have seen the pictures of earth from the moon and we know that space is this kind of infinite journey so according to a Uh, modern sensibility. Jesus probably still going, you know, because if you're drunk, that little satellite going past Pluto. (laughs) Right, right. It's just like (laughs) sailing off into the universe. I think the Ascension story kind of solves a problem for the early Christians is that they had this experience of in a bodily real way that Jesus was risen from the dead. But as the church moved on, fewer and fewer people had an experience of kind of the bodily presence. And it's, so it's like, so what did happen to the body? What, what happened to Jesus after the resurrection? It's like, so you got to have a story that kind of gets him out of the picture. But I think that raises a really interesting question is where does he go um, I was reading about this text, and when Christian missionaries went to South African tribes, the Zulu and the Xhosa—I love saying that. I had a friend who was from that tribe, so I learned to say the Xhosa—they um, had this sense that God was in the earth, mm-hmm. um, and so— um, when they buried people, they were literally placing them into God's care in the earth and so would go to to places where people were buried and felt close to God. But Christian missionaries said, no, you are wrong. Our God is a God of the sky, so mm. don't look down, look up, and tore that community away from their deep sensibility about where God was located, and put God in the clouds above, which interestingly reinforces a kind of hierarchical view that that Pastor Javen you were talking about in that last text, which was very important for Europeans to bring Roman. to tribal people that no, this is a hierarchical universe with God far above and we and we below. So it kind of worked if you're a colonizer. Um, but I wonder, oh, wouldn't it have been great— if we had a different sense what if jesus instead of ascending into the heavens ascends to the into the earth and the place where jesus resides is the earth that the body of jesus is the earth i think it would be a kind of metaphor and vision for our ecological crisis that we live in today you want to find god you look at the ground beneath your feet, not up into the sky.
0: And there's so much you can find in Scripture that would support that. The whole idea of, you know, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground, or, you know, you are dust and to dust you shall return, that the dust is actually the the thing which with which God creates and makes and forms us, that it's not um, uh, dirty or... Uh, no longer loved by God, somehow it is part of creation. it's well, powerful.
1: And as Christians, we talk about the church on earth today as the body of Christ. So we already have a metaphor for where Jesus maybe could have gone, besides like up to some heaven that we imagine up somewhere. But that God, that Jesus comes into us. And and in a way, I think I'm reading this book right now called Behave, all the biology stuff that happens in us that leads us to certain behaviors. And that environment really does impact people's genes and their hormones and all and the ways their neurons work and that just like being in the presence of like my being in the studio with you right now changes my brain and changes how I behave. And and in a way, because people have had interactions with Jesus, that literally changes people's bodies and their brains and, and that gets passed on to future generations. And in a way... Because people in a time and place had actual human interactions with Jesus, that has changed all of our biology down until today with us. That reminds me
2: of another way of thinking of the ascension. Um, Walter Wink he thought that the ascension was the most important Christian holiday because it does raise the question of where does Jesus go, and he says that Jesus – ascends into the unconscious of human life and becomes the type for what it means to be a human and that that, that, that is deeply within every human being. It's kind of like the image of God as this connection of the human and the divine is within us so that when we say that that Jesus ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father, when we say that in the Creed, that the right hand of the Father is actually deep within the very core of our being and is in our imagination. And I love thinking about it that way. It's that Jesus doesn't ascend up. Jesus ascends within. Where does Jesus go? He's in me.
0: Sounds like a great place to end it for today. We're interested to hear from you about what all this means. Drop us a note at pastors at GloriaDayStPaul.org. Thank you to Paul Friesencarper for providing the music for us. Join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10 o'clock a.m. If you like what you've heard today, we hope that you'll click the subscribe button on whatever service you found us on that will keep you up to date with new episodes. And we'd also love you to rate our podcast or leave us a review. Thank you so much for joining us. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This
2: Mean? a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaysaintpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.